Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. Uh, let's do a real quick review of the first couple parts, and then we'll pick up. You have inside your program a sheet that goes along with what we're talking about today, and you can fill in some of the blanks, some of the verses around there. We'll put the rest of the verses up there. Otherwise, if you've got a Bible today, that'd be good too. So real quick, uh, we talked about this. Uh, we talked about the fact that, that God sets the standard for what's the ideal, and uh, he kind of uh, put the bar up for this is, this is kind of what my plan is. But we also know that we all live in the real world. And uh, just like at the Garden of Eden, God had set the ideal standard up, but <laughs> mankind sins and mankind makes choices and mankind makes mistakes, and, and God meets us right there and deals with it and, and helps us through as we strive towards God's plans. And it's really important, as we talked about, that we look at this book when it comes to raising our children. Well, we look at this book when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our marriage, when it comes to anything like that. That, that this really is, as we talked about, God's blueprint for how we live our life. And, and we all know this. The truth is, anytime we deviate from what this book says as far as how we live our life, uh, and again, we're talking about child raising and, and being a parent, life just gets more frustrating. It gets harder. It gets more difficult. And the reason is because we keep deviating from God's plan. So the encouraging part is that we can, <laughs> no matter where you're at, you can always hop back on and, and get headed in the right direction. So if you were kind of heading off and, and how you're raising your kids or, or how you're dealing with that, you can say, well, I'm going to start doing it the right way. I'm going to start doing it God's way. I'm going to start sticking to God's plan. And, uh, and, and then we know that God's plan always works for Christians because we're Christians. But we also know this. It's kind of interesting if we look in the Bible and we look for good examples of parenting. Anytime you're over here in the Old Testament, really, there's really not much of an example of good parenting, really. Or I mean, what we kind of see is what? A lot of dysfunction, isn't it? Um, I won't ask for a raise of hands, but I'll raise my hand. How many of you come from a dysfunctional family? Yeah, absolutely, positively. And thankfully, thankfully you know that God works in spite of our bad choices and in spite of things we do and other people do. And, and uh, we know that, that God has a plan for us. So we always just stick to God's word, and that's kind of what we're trying to stick to today and in this series. So um, that's a good thing. And then last week we, we started to look at what, what Jesus said it's interesting, Jesus didn't really talk about parenting per se, but he did talk about Christians' behavior. Do you remember that? And he laid down a, a new commandment. He said, this commandment is a new commandment, and this is, this is forget all the other commandments, this is the one you've got to stick to. And the commandment was basically that, that love others just like Jesus loves us. Love others as Jesus loved us. So, so then we go to the New Testament even further, and there's a guy named Paul who was a missionary. Okay, we talk about Paul in the book of Acts a lot. Paul kind of puts some handlebars on that word love, the word agape. And he kind of helps us out a little bit, saying this is what love looks like. So, so Jesus sets the, the bar for Christians' behavior, and he says you really need to love each other just like I loved you. And then Paul comes along and says, okay, this is what that looks like. And he gives us a bunch of verses that talk about what love looks like. And Paul uses the, the word, or what we have is the old English word for this word agape, and it's the word charity, okay? So we'll see the word charity in your Bible and in, the, and in the, the verses, but you can kind of in your mind just kind of for the sake of simplicity just think of the word love there. 
And we talked about this verse. We talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. This is where it started. And uh, uh, we see it here. It's, just, it's, it's a verse that Paul wrote to the church. And he said, hey, church, this is what love looks like. Love suffers long. It's kind. It envies not. It vaunts not itself. It's not puffed up. And uh, this is how we behave. And, and he says, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. And then we looked down at verse 5 last week. And it said this, at the beginning of verse 5, so this says, love does not behave itself unseemingly. And we kind of stopped right there for the sake of time. And that was the fact that love does not dishonor others. Which means what? Love shows honor. Another word for honor here would be the word respect. It honors each other. It honors a position that you have. It honors respe uh, respects a position that you have. And so that's what love does. And then we talked about, uh, the last thing we talked about last week, we, we talked about any time we dishonor someone, and I gave you three Ds, the three Ds of dishonoring, uh, and that was dishonesty, disobedience, and disrespect. Dishonesty, disobedience, disrespect. And we said that that's, those are areas that you really need to think, parent, that you need to be working on discipline anytime they break those. And if you want to raise a a disrespectful, disobedient, dishonest child, if that's what your goal is, to raise a child like that, then anytime they act like that, just ignore it, right? And what you, what you reward will be repeated, right? And so we kind of looked at that and said, well, okay, that's what it looks like, and this is really important. And so we're going to pick up today on this where we left off, and we're going to pick up at this verse, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, and see what the rest of the verse has to say. So we left off at this first part of the verse last week. Does not behave itself unseemly. And then here we go. Love seeks not her own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil. So let's tell you what. Let's look at this line right here. Seeks not her own, is not easily provoked. I'm going to kind of put those two together, and you'll see why. So let's just look at it. Basically, Paul's saying here is love is not selfish. You know, love puts the interests and the needs of other people first. Now, <laughs> if we were to be talking about relationships today, I think we could pretty much just land on that one and say, well, that pretty much would fix all of our relationships, right? <laughs> if, uh, uh, if we just kind of dealt with that and said, well, love isn't selfish. And then that part of it, the second part of it says it's not easily provoked, or, or in other words, it's not easily angered. Now, I want to look at this part of the phrase, and then we're going to put those two phrases together. But let's look at that. This is interesting because the word here that's used for, uh, that we're using as anger is actually a cooking term. Did you know that? Um, if we looked at that word in other literature from that time, it's actually interesting because it, it's, it's actually translated as stirred up or stirring. So he's saying here in this verse, now look at the verse, he's saying that love is not easily stirred up. Okay, now I need you to raise your hand. Ready? How many of you parents, how many of you parents have ever let your kids stir you up? If you didn't put your hand up, I don't know. You're paying attention. <laughs> yeah, of course that happens. All the time it happens, right? Our kids, and our kids do it better than anybody else, I think. They get us stirred up. Um, and it's, it's really kind of an interesting term because if you think about this, if you think about cooking and stirring a pot, think about that. What happens? Now, 
Um, I love peanut butter. Those of you that, that work here on staff, you know there's always a jar of peanut butter and there's always frozen strawberries in the freezer and there's usually bananas here uh, because I just, I just love to make smoothies out of it and really anything with peanut butter. I mean, you could put spinach in it. It doesn't matter. It's got peanut butter, right? But have you ever had like the, the organic or the natural peanut butter? Sure, you've had that, right? And what happens when you don't open the jar of peanut butter for a while? What happens? Everything settles to the bottom, the peanuts on the bottom, the peanut butter's in the middle. And what's on top? About an inch of oil is on the top. So what do you have to do if you're going to use the, the natural peanut butter? You have to what? You have to stir it up, right? And you stir it up. Now think about that just for a moment. And think about when you're stirring a jar of peanut butter. <laughs> I'm really hungry right now. <laughs> but uh, the point is, is that, that <laughs> when you stir up that jar of peanut butter, are, are you creating anything? You're not creating anything. What are you doing? You're just stirring up what? What's already in there. And you know you're done stirring, right, when the peanuts have actually kind of made their way to the top, right? The oil's kind of settled down. And, and you know that. But, but all you're doing when you stir a jar of peanut butter is you're just surfacing what was there to begin with. And, and now I know. I know. No one wants to hear me say this. I, I get it. I don't want to hear myself say this either. <laughs> but but uh, this is really from personal experience. Our children, uh, our, our kids, do you know this? Our kids don't actually make us angry. They don't. They stir up what's already inside of us. Right? They don't know. That's what they do. They stir it up. The reality is this. No one really can make us angry. They can stir up what's already inside of us. And like I said, kids for some reason do that just wonderfully well, more than our coworkers, more than a spouse, more than anything like that. But they're stirring up what's already in, in, in us. And, and Paul here, look at the verse again. Paul's saying, listen, it's our self-seekingness, or, or the beginning there, our selfishness, our desire to have our own way, that when we don't get our own way, it stirs up what's already inside of us. And like I said, no one makes us angry. They just stir up what's already inside of us. They stir that up, what's already inside of us. And our emotions get stirred up. And, and it's different stages of parenting. When you got a little kid, you get a little bit older, a little bit older, there's different emotions, there's different ways they stir you up. But, but parenting is emotional. And, and listen, you have to remember this, that parenting is emotional. Re one of the reasons parenting is emotional is because you care. Anything that you care about, you get emotional about, right? But, but it's also because we're selfish. And all of us in this room, myself included, are naturally have a bend to being selfish. And, and I want my way, and you want your way, and our kids want their way, right? And, and that's just kind of the reality of it. And, and if we were to go over and look at the book of James, so all the way over to the right, so we're in Corinthians, go all the way over to the right, the book of James. This is kind of interesting. Do you know that James is the brother of Jesus? Do you know that we kind of get from the Bible about Jesus and his family? You know what's kind of the implication? Jesus didn't have a really great relationship with his brothers. He didn't, he didn't really get along with them very well. How do we know that? Because they doubted everything that he was doing. They doubted the virgin birth of, of mom, Right, or mom and having Jesus, right? They doubted that. And it wasn't until when? It wasn't until after the resurrection. You know, I imagine James was probably sitting there after the resurrection, you know, the, the crucifixion, the resurrection. Oh, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> what we went through as kids, but, it, they, you know, apparently there was some, some dysfunction there. But James chapter 4, he, he touches on the same subject. Now, now look at this verse. This is a really cool verse. James chapter 4, verse 1. He says this. From whence comes wars and fightings among you? 
Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members. Let's just look at this first verse and kind of dissect it a little bit. I want you to kind of understand this because he's hitting on the same subject here. He's saying this. He's saying, listen, what, what causes the fights? What causes the quarrels that you guys have among yourselves? In other words, what is the source of the conflict that you're having? What is the source of the conflict? And, and, and he kind of goes on to even answer it and to kind of give us the answer right there. He says this. He says, he says it's from these fights and these quarrels come from your own desires. The desires that are what? Are within you. That's what he's saying. So where comes these fights? Where comes these quarrels? I'll tell you exactly where James says where the fights and the quarrels come from. They come from inside of you. That's where they come from. <laughs> and, and they're not from somewhere else. They come from your desires that battle within you. And then look at verse 2. Go down to verse 2 and, and get this. He says, you lust and you have not, or you have a desire for things. You want things your way, and you have not. You kill and desire to have, and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you have not. Because you asked not. So look right there at the beginning. He kind of puts it right there. He says, you fight and you war. You want something. You desire something. But you can't get it. You don't have it. You covet it. You want it. You can't get what you want. So what do you do? You quarrel and you fight. Comes down to our selfishness. And I don't like talking about this subject any more than, than you want to hear about it. it just, it's, but it's the truth, though. We stir it up from within ourselves, our selfishness, the way that we want it. I want it my way. And we don't get our way. What do we do? We throw a hissy fit, Right? And it kind of happens sometimes when you're parenting. And, and sometimes, especially as your kids get older, there's fights and there's quarrels because you're not getting your way and your child isn't getting their way, you know? And that's where parents, listen, that's where, that's where we've got to be really cautious. And we make sure that we follow a biblical role of discipline. And we talked about this a little bit last week. When we discipline, you're not getting back. You're not getting even. You're not making them, I'm going to make you pay for this. You embarrass me, I'm going to embarrass you. That's not discipline. That's called child abuse, okay? When we discipline for the right reason, we are under control, we're calm, uh, we, we're, we're doing it with the right spirit, we're doing it to restore a relationship, okay? And you have to be very cautious and make sure, but sometimes parents, sometimes it's easy for us to get angry. We get stirred up by our kids, and we lash out at our kids. We come up, become emotional with our children, and we have a conflict with our child, and it becomes an arguing match or, or an angry match. we got to be really careful about that, okay? We'd be very cautious about that, and very cautious that sometimes we're just cautious that, that maybe we know an apology. Maybe we have, to, we have to kind of own our piece of the pie, Oh boy, I shouldn't have said that. Or, oh boy, I lashed out. <laughs> Parents or couples will ask me sometimes, you know, what do we do when we're having an argument? Husband and wife having an argument. Here's something, here's something, it doesn't, in the real world, you probably would never do it. But here's a good way to figure out where the problem is when you're having an argument, right? And I know no one here, no one here ever has an argument with their spouse. I get it. But let's just say if you went to a different church and you had an argument with your spouse, okay? Not this church, but. Stay, in the middle of an argument, I want you to stop. I want you to stop in the middle of an argument, and I want you to say, do you know what the problem is here? Do you want to know what the problem is here? I'll tell you what the problem is. The problem is I'm not getting what I want. You just say that. <laughs> and then your spouse is going to look at you and say, exactly. <laughs> but that's really what he's saying. He's saying you're, it's coming from within inside you. You're not getting what you want. You're not getting your way, right or wrong, but... That's where that conflict comes. That's where those emotions get built, built up. So back to the verse. Go back to the verse here in Corinthians. Love is not self-seeking. It's not, it's not easily angered. Love is not about me getting my way. 
therefore, because love is not, not about me getting my way, love is not easily angered. Do you see how those two go together? L- love doesn't say, I'm not getting my way. Therefore, the result is love is not easily angered. Okay? Do you see how those tie together? It's when we want our way and we have to have our way and the way we want it, that's what brings us around to being angry and being riled up. And, and, and love can recognize what's really going on and, and love can be cautious about that and love can be so careful because remember this, I said this last week, mom, your words, your words, your words to your kids weigh 100 pounds. Dads, your words to your kids weigh 500 pounds. I don't, I don't know why that is, but <laughs> it's just the reality of it. And when, listen, if we have a bad day at work, you go to work tomorrow and, and you have a bad day, your adult peers can look and say, oh, he's just having a bad day. Oh, she's just having a bad day. Give him some room, right? And, 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 and you go to work and you get angry, you get upset, and oh, you know, wonder what's wrong with him. You know, wonder, wonder what's wrong with her. They're having a bad day. When we're like that with our children, our children can't compartmentalize that. And our children don't say, gee, I wonder what's wrong with mom. Our children say, I wonder what's wrong with me, right? Because they don't know. They can't, they can't figure that out. They can't figure out adult emotions. <laughs> and any of you from a dysfunctional family, you know that hurts, right? What's wrong with me? Well, maybe nothing's wrong with you. Maybe it's your parents. So mom and dad, we got to be so, so cautious with that. And just remember that, that, that there may be times that we have to apologize and we've got to get down on our knees and tell our children we're sorry. Make sure that we are uh, treating them and talking to them in the way that love would do it. That's, that's not stirring up our emotions. That's not getting the peanuts from the bottom of the jar all mixed up. And, and just acknowledge for a moment, I'm worked up because I didn't get my way. And take a breath and take a breather. And, and approach your children in a mature biblical fashion. Approach your spouse in a mature biblical fashion. And parents, I think, I think, <laughs> I think that we got to work on our marriages first and get those conversations right and mature, right, in order for our children to emulate that and understand it. So there's a lot of work that we can all do on this, and it's something we all have to work on. And so love is not self-seeking, and therefore love is not easily angered, okay? It won't be easily angered. Okay, the Apostle Paul, though, isn't done with us. He's, he's still going on, and he keeps going. So let's take the, a look at the rest of verse 13, verse 5. Let's look at the very end of that verse, First uh, Corinthians 13, verse 5. Let's, there we go. Here we go. Uh, it's not self-serving, therefore it's not easily angered. Here we go. Thinks no evil. Love doesn't think any evil. The word think here literally means the word, it means to take an inventory of. So love doesn't take an inventory of what? Of someone's evil. It, it doesn't take an inventory of someone's evil. Now, adults, love doesn't take an inventory of someone else's evil. Did that get through? Did we register that? Boy, that's a hard one. Because what do we like to do? We love to just remember it. And, and we love it to kind of go over in our mind, right? Don't you remember when you, nah, 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 10 years ago? Don't you remember five years ago? You said, don't you remember when you were four years old, you spilled that glass of milk? 
Well, Mom, I'm 32 now. <laughs> but don't you remember? Love doesn't do that. Love keeps no records of wrongs. And boy, this is a hard one. It's really, really hard. Because guys, listen, there is absolutely, positively, there's no win in reminding your kids of their past failures. You just, you're not going to win that one. If you, if you keep bringing up the past failures, you won't win it. There's nothing to win. They already know. Besides, that's abusing your, your power as a parent. Do you like it when people hold the past over you? Does anyone here go, boy, I just love it when someone reminds me of my past. Man, that's great. Go to work tomorrow morning. My boss says, don't you remember 20 years ago or last week? Or, don't, you, you love that. No, you don't love it. Love doesn't keep an evil, keep a record of evils and keep a record of all the wrongs that have taken place. It just doesn't, it doesn't do that. There, there's just parents, there's no reason to open up that file cabinet <laughs> and say, well, and, and hey, parents, couples, that goes for our marriage too. There's no reason to walk over to the file cabinet. Well, let me remind you of what you did. <laughs> love doesn't keep a filing cabinet. Okay, that's what love doesn't do, all right? It just doesn't do that. It just doesn't do that. We need to be forgiving, and, and sometimes we just need to pretend to forget, you know? It's interesting. That's the same thing Christ did for us, right? He forgave us, and he pretends to forget. <laughs> he doesn't remind us. Now, with that in mind, I'll say this. I'll say this. You can forgive someone, and forgiveness is different than trust, okay? So at an adult level, forgiveness is different than trust. Uh, my son could drive my car, and let's say he could back my car into, into the garage and hit it. He didn't, but let's say he did. I can forgive him and say, okay, I forgive you for doing that. Okay, you know, we'll deal with paying for it or whatever later. I can forgive you for that, but what's the difference? I'll take those keys for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've forgiven you, but I, we, we got to work on this a little bit more. You're driving before I can trust you again, okay? It may take a while. So we can forgive someone, but be cautious because, you know, it doesn't mean we just say, well, here, take the keys again, go hit the garage again, you know. There's a trust factor there, too. But, but sometimes we have to just, when it comes to this, we got to be forgiving, and sometimes we just have to pretend to forget, too. And I'm thankful, guys, listen, I'm so thankful that God's done that for me. Can I get an amen? Aren't you glad you don't wake up in the morning and God's going, <laughs> you, don't you remember that lifestyle you used to live? Don't you remember all the abuse you did? Don't you remember all those people you hurt? Don't, who, who do you think you are? Don't you remember that? You're a terrible person. Jesus doesn't say that. If you hear that, if that's going through your mind, that's not Jesus saying it. And if it's not Jesus saying it, who is it? It's Satan. Jesus, Jesus isn't going around accusing the brethren. Who's accusing the brethren? Satan is. Satan's up before God right now saying, yeah, do you know so-and-so? Do you know? Don't you know? That's Satan's job. Jesus looks at us as redeemed, as forgiven, right? We still make mistakes. We still screw up. Absolutely. But he's not up there reminding us every day, well, welcome, loser. <laughs> Another day for my mercy because you're going to need it because you're a failure. He's not doing that. Jesus isn't living that way. And parents, we've got to be cautious about that. So let's look at our next verse, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. Now, let's take a look at this at the beginning here. Rejoices not in iniquity. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Okay? Again, definition for love. Rejoices not in iniquity, rejoices in the truth. In other words, love does not delight in our evil. It rejoices in the truth. Love doesn't wait to catch people doing the wrong thing. 
love celebrates when people do the right thing, okay? It's not looking. Parents, don't be looking to try to catch your kids all the time. Don't, you celebrate when they do the right thing. You celebrate that. I love, one of the things I love about our Christian school, I love our Christian school. I just, if you want to hear me brag about something, I'm going to brag about our Christian school, all right? It's just so cool. What I love about the curriculum in our Christian school is this, and, and the teachers know this. The goal, the purpose, is not for the teachers to go looking for kids messing up or looking for kids cheating or looking for kids being dishonest in the schoolwork. That's not the goal. If they're cheating or they're lying, guess what? My Bible says that God will make sure that people know about it, right? <laughs> so if you're cheating or lying in our school, eventually it's going to catch up to you and we're just going to let God take care of it and we'll find out about it sooner or later, right? <laughs> you know, but we're celebrating what they do is right, okay? And, and you really can't get too far in the curriculum they have with cheating or being dishonest or being disobedient because eventually it catches up to you. But the goal of the school is not to go around looking for everyone that's done stuff wrong. Okay, we're sitting here just looking to write down everything that people, no, we're celebrating everything that's right. You know, and that's what love does. Love doesn't sit there and say, well, I just can't wait to catch you messing up again. It's not the point of it. Go down to verse 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. Let's just take a look at the first three words here for a moment. Love bears all things, okay? So the next one here we're looking at is love bears all things. The verse goes on and says, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It, it bears, the word bear literally means to put a roof over. Now follow me, to cover. We have a roof over us, it's covering us. What is this roof doing? It's also doing what from the rain? It's protecting us. Right? If it's raining, we're not getting wet. If it's snowing, we're not getting snowed on. If, if it's windy, we're not getting the wind blowing on us. If, if leaves are falling or, or whatever, the roof is protecting us. So, so when we're looking at this verse and it says, love bears all things, is love puts a roof over, love covers, love always protects, it always defends, it stands guard, it keeps bad things out. And parents, we have got to learn to protect our children and, and this gets harder and harder and harder. And I tell you, whew, it gets harder as they get older, okay? It's kind of easy to protect the one-year-old, you know what I mean? Just stay in your, stay in your, your seat, don't move, you know? <laughs> I'll feed you when you're hungry, you know what I mean? Just don't move. And they don't move because they're strapped in there, right? There's nothing to do. But as they get older, as you know, right, three, four, five, they, where they're moving around, they're walking around, it gets harder and harder and harder. Yeah, and then when they become a teenager, you know, there's not, you're not worried about them running around the room. You're run, worried about them running around town, right? It gets harder and harder and harder. And I'll tell you, especially in, in the age of social media and friendships and stuff now, it, it's just really hard to know how to protect your children without being overly protective, okay? Uh, uh, I'll just tell you this. Right now, in, in today's society, it's going to be hard to always keep that right, okay? It's, it's going to be hard to do it and to always do it exactly right because things are changing so much. You know, they didn't change for you know, a hundred years, and now things are just changing every day. People always ask me, so Pastor Dan, what, what would you do? How do you protect your kids in the days of social media? Here's how you protect your kids. Here's what I, what I recommend, okay? I do this. Err, err on the side of too much protection rather than too little protection, okay? Just, just be overly cautious, overly protective instead of underly protective, I don't know if that's a word, underly protective. But, but err on the side of, of too much protection. And, and, and as they get older and you kind of feel it's okay to start relaxing your grip on them, I'm just going to encourage you on this. Parents, relax your grip really slowly and really carefully. Because once you've relaxed your grip on some of those controls, you, you really can't get it back, okay? 
it's hard to get that, that control back once you, as they're growing and as they're maturing and you start to give them more freedom. Because once you give them the freedom, it's hard to take that back. But, but parents, listen, you've got to just pray about it. You've got to trust your gut on this one. You've got to know who their friends are. Parents, it is your job to know who your kids' friends are. Okay? It's, it's not the school's job. It's not the principal's job. It's not the pastor's job. It's your job. And it's your job to limit if they shouldn't be with some of their friends. It's not my job. It's your job. And if you, if you just don't feel right about it, then, then they just don't hang out with them. They just don't. Okay? And, and sometimes you have to do it. I remember my mom. I told you this story before. I grew up in a Christian school. Went to public school for a while. I was homeschooled for a while. But, but my mom actually worked in a Christian school. And, and that's how she funded us going to Christian school, which is a pretty amazing thing. She would drive for 55 minutes each way in the morning and back home, 3 o'clock, back home. And, and somehow, I mean, somehow, I don't, how in the world my mom, I mean, my dad, as you know, was, was, was a mess. But she raised five kids. I don't know how she did it. But so she worked in a Christian school to uh, offset that. And she put us to Christian school. I don't know how she did all that, but she did it. But my mom, she'd be the type, she'd be like, okay, she'd be looking at my class. And back in those days, you know, how many came from a school with big, uh, like big classrooms? Okay, all my classrooms had 30 or 40 kids in it. I mean, every year, that's just, we had 30 or 40 kids in a Christian school. That's just the way it was. And my mom would kind of be like, okay, Danny's not hanging out with that kid and not hanging out with that kid, you know. And, and she'd say, just so you know, you're not hanging out with that kid, you're not hanging out with that kid, you know. And the, and the principal of the school would get me, he's like, Joyce, you you just can't go around saying that, you know. She's I don't care. They're not going over that kid's house, you know. And she was usually right. She, she trusted her gut, and she just knew, ah, boy, I don't know. So parents, be real careful on that. Um, listen, when it comes to phones, and I, this is not popular, but I'm just going to tell you. I, I, I wouldn't give your child a phone with Internet access. I just wouldn't. I would err on the side of overprotection. You, do, you know, when I grew up, the big deal, you know what the big deal was when I grew up? Todd's laughing because he knows what the big deal when I grew up. Don't have a TV set in the kid's room, you know, because there's three channels. You can watch NBC, CBS, you know, and ABC, you know, and if you're lucky, and the stat, you know, you get those other channels, you know, who knows what you may see, right? And we all knew what you could find. That was a big deal. But nowadays, your phone makes a TV set with three channels look like a Sunday school picnic. It's a joke, all right? Parents, you, you do not need your teenagers to have internet access, okay? They, they just don't, you know, un, unbridled, unwatched. My son has an iPad. It's in the kitchen. It's on the kitchen table. When he uses his iPad for work or school, whatever like that, he's in the living room. He's in the kitchen. We all see it. But guess what? I have his password. I have set up restrictions on that, that thing that, you know, he can barely turn the thing on without my permission. You know what I mean? But I'm overly protective. Don't you think it's good to be overly protective with a 17-year-old boy? Isn't that smart or is that foolish? It's smart. Right. Do I do that because I hate him? No, I do it because I, what? I love him. Is there times when my son thinks that I hate him? Probably. <laughs> but right? But you got to know that. And parents don't just know their passwords. You, you have full access to their electronics all the time without asking permission. All the time. So my son drives, you know, he's got a car, and, and he has a flip phone, like, like, like a 1995 flip phone, you know, and and I can look at that whenever I want. I can go up to his iPad. I got all the passwords on it. And, and I just see it. And I, they're restricted, so he can't change my password. And I can just see everything. I read his email. And, and it's just a good relationship because he's not hiding anything because 
I can see it all, right? And we do that, and we're not, well, I don't know how to do it. Well, then learn. Well, I don't know how to change a password. Well, then learn how to do it. It's your job to raise your kids. Then be overly protective. You've got to do those kind of things. But I would not give them Internet access on a phone. I just, guys or girls, I just wouldn't do it. I just, I, I question just giving them a phone sometimes. I just kind of wonder, you know. But, but be careful when you release that freedom as they get a little bit older. Freedom, freedom has little to do with age. Do you understand that? Freedom has little to do with age. Freedom has everything to do with maturity. Here's the, here's the simple proof of that. Uh, in the state of Wisconsin, how old do you have to be to get a learner's permit? 15. Let me ask you a question, Mom and Dad. Does, should every 15-year-old go get their learner's permit? No. You say, well, they're 15. They should get a learner's permit. Nah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes some of our kids, we need to wait. Well, why don't you drive and practice for a little while? Maybe we're 16 or 17. It doesn't have to do with age. It has to do with maturity level. And every kid's different just the way they are. And two kids, you know, your two kids aren't the same. They're all different. So you just make sure that, that you're, you're thinking about maturity and responsibility level. And you're slow to release that freedom. And you just be very, very cautious with that. And, and, and parents, listen. It's okay to stand your ground. It's okay, listen to me, listen to me. It's okay for your kids to hate you temporarily. It, it's, it's okay for your kids to hate you temporarily. It's just okay. When it comes to this area, it's just okay. Because it doesn't mean you're a bad parent. What it probably means is, is that you love your son or your daughter more than you love their approval. And that's more important, that you love them more than you love their approval. I see parents all the time that are just, they, parents, I don't get it. They bow down to every child's needs because they're trying to get their child's approval. Stop it. You are supposed to be the parent. You're supposed to be raising them and training them. And sometimes you may not get their approval. But that's okay. It's because I love you more than I love your approval. Don't touch the stove. But I want that chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> no, you don't touch the stove. It's not that I'm trying to be mean. I'm trying to hate you. I just know better than you because I'm the parent, you know, and someday you'll be the parent. Now, when I say that, doesn't that make a little bit more sense of why your parents were the way they were? Because sometimes we're sitting there, I can't believe my parents didn't let me. Well, yeah, they didn't let you because they loved you. Does it mean they did it perfectly? No, but they loved, they loved you more than they loved your approval. So be just very, very careful about that, about, about worrying about the approval, and, and, and you make sure you do what's best for your child. You know, I think about love sometimes and, 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 uh, and just the fact that what love looks like. Uh, I grew up the youngest of five. I'll give you the quick scenario real fast. Youngest of five, you know that. Uh, my father at the time was an abusive, violent alcoholic, and, and somehow my mom raised kids. I don't know how she raised five kids. She did it on her own. Uh, she had us going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night. She had us going Wednesday night. Uh, we, we were all dressed up. I, don't, I have no idea how she did that. She put us to Christian school. I don't have any idea how she did that. Uh, she, did, she raised us pretty much on her own. I don't know how she did that. All the kids, for the most part, turned out good in the context of this. They're all involved in church. They're all heavily involved in church. Their kids are saved and in church, and their grandkids are in church. Uh, and, and of the five kids, three of them are full-time ministry as pastors or married to them. And the other two are basically like fully involved in their church. I don't know how she did that. I just don't know how she did it. But I do remember, I do remember being the youngest of five, my older sibling, uh, asking or wanting to go somewhere that my mom said, no, you're not going with the kids from high school there. You're not. And I, it was one of those moments when I just remember the yelling and the screaming and, and the fight breaking. It was, oh, it was awful, right? You remember that, those of you that were younger siblings? <laughs> well, I don't know if I could say it, but 
It was one of those crazy nights. And, and there's, in the house that we lived in, in Palatine, okay, hour and a half south of here, there's a, a hole in the wall from one of my siblings. It wasn't me. It was interesting. My mom never covered the hole in the wall. She didn't. Because that showed her and that showed us as siblings what love looks like sometimes. Your will against my will, boom. There's a fist-sized hole in the wall. And she never covered it. It's probably still there. They hid it behind a mirror when they sold the house. They left the mirror at the house and they never told anybody. <laughs> if the mirror is still hanging here 40 years later, it's probably still there. But that's the way that it looks. Sometimes, guys, listen, sometimes love looks like the enemy. But it's okay because what is love doing? Look at that verse. What is love doing? Love always protects. It looks like the enemy sometimes, but it's not. It's protecting you. I have that happen all the time. I have that in counseling. I have that when working with families and, and, and people getting upset or whatever. Well, love protects. Love's trying to help. Lo love's not upset the person. Love's not trying to get his own way. Love's trying to protect you from, from your own decisions. Love's trying to protect you from the way you're going. And sometimes that makes love look like an enemy. It's called tough love, but it's not the enemy. What's the verse say? Love bears all. It, it covers all. It protects all. It defends all. And sometimes, guys, love has to do it extremely fierce. Don't be afraid of that, parents. You don't be afraid of that because that's what love does. So let's, we're out of time. Let's be done here with this series. Uh, wrapping up our discussion here. Just remember this. I'll get a couple of things here and we'll get out of here. There are no perfect parents. Amen? There are no perfect kids. Amen? <laughs> There's no perfect families. <laughs> I don't know. People ask me, Pastor Dan, you want to raise perfect kids? Here's my answer. No. You know why I don't want to raise perfect kids? Because if I raise perfect kids, the odds are those perfect kids don't want to be with me because I'm imperfect. They'll be too good to be around me. So sometimes, you know, I don't want to know if I want to raise perfect kids. But, uh, but I think that's kind of interesting because I think it's interesting that God didn't wait for us to be perfect. He loved us right where we're at, right? Jesus died on the cross while we were what? Imperfect. Same way that our Heavenly Father treats us. Sometimes we have to think about that. That love, that's how we should be treating our family. And that's how we should always be doing it. And, and, and I think the bottom wrap-up of the series would be this. Parents, I want you to do this. I want you to parent. I want you to get this. I want you to always parent towards a healthy adult relationship with your children. Always parent towards a healthy adult relationship with your children. Parent today how you want that healthy adult relationship to be when they're in their 20s and 30s, okay? With that in mind, I'm parenting towards a healthy adult relationship, not an enabling relationship, not a codependent relationship, but I'm raising them so there will be a healthy, adult, mature relationship someday. And, and I always just love your children, as these verses say, just the same way that Jesus told us to love each other. He said, be patient, be kind, loan them your strength. Don't constantly remind them of their weakness. They already know that. Celebrate their success. Minimize their failures. Create a culture of mutual honor and respect. Own your slice of the conflict pie if it ever needs to be owned. <laughs> Protect, trust, hope, persevere. And last of all, consider this quote. This is a good quote, one of the books that I read. This is good. The most significant thing, the most significant thing you do may not be something that you do, but it may be someone 
that you raise. Okay, I'll read that again. The most significant thing that you do may not actually be something that you do. It may be someone that you raise. Okay, that is the most important job that we have right now is to raise those children in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord and teach them to love their Heavenly Father. Aren't you glad your Heavenly Father loves you? And I, I just, I'm glad that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid our sin debt. Parents, make sure you tell your children. Make sure that you take the time to tell your children about the God who loves them so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. This is the story of Easter, Jesus dying on the cross, but the story doesn't end with him dying on the cross. You know, we have, we have Good Friday service, right? And that's Jesus dying on the cross. We, we remember it that day. It was actually Tuesday night, but we remember it, believe it or not, on Friday. But the most important thing is we remember what? The resurrection. We remember Sunday morning. We remember the fact that he came back from the dead. Not only did he predict it, but he actually pulled it off, right? And no one else has ever had a resurrection. So, so it's the coolest thing ever, and that's what we celebrate on Sunday morning because the resurrection proves that the death that he, he encountered uh, going, starting on Tuesday night, actually dying on Wednesday afternoon, that, we remember that, the price was paid and the Heavenly Father accepted it and it proved it by coming back from the dead, right? That's the cool part about it. Aren't you glad that Jesus died on the cross, paid our sins, and you can know for certain you're going to heaven right now. If you, if you came today and you said, well, I don't know how if I'm going to heaven. I went to church, I got baptized, that means I'm going. You know, I think maybe kind of quarter, should, maybe I could have. Well, the Bible says you can know. How do you know? by trusting in the fact what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Let me just leave you with this verse. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that what? That he gave his only begotten son. That's the story of Christmas. Jesus was being born. And then we know he died on Easter, right? Paid our sin debt. That whoever believes in him, well, not just believes in him as a person. Yeah, there's a guy named Jesus. No, believes in what he did as the Messiah. He was the, the sacrificial lamb. He's the one that paid the sin debt. Whoever believes in him should not perish but has everlasting life. That's eternal life forever, not because they're good. Nowhere in those verses that say go to church, nowhere in those verses that say get baptized, nowhere in that, that thing that say raise perfect kids, nowhere in that say put your kids in a Christian school. That's, that's not part of the requirements. The requirements are simply believing that when Jesus Christ died, he paid your sin debt, rose again the third day, proving it had been paid, and that you're a sinner and you could never pay for it. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right? Okay, let's close with a word of prayer. We'll be done this morning. Good study today. Father in heaven, we're thankful for our time together. Lord, we're thankful that we got a chance to open up the Bible again today. And Lord, I just pray that this is helpful for all of us. It's helpful to me, raising teenagers and a kid in college. Boy, it's challenging, Lord, sometimes. So I pray that you'd work in my heart. Help me to raise my children the way you'd have me raise them. Lord, help us to apply some of these principles. Help us to be serious about raising our kids and Maybe start grabbing some books, some Christian books about child raising. Maybe digging into the Bible a little bit and seeing what the Bible really does say about disciplining. We, just, we need to learn it because the world sure isn't teaching it. Help us to take it seriously because they grow up so fast. It'll be over so quick. We've got to make the most of every day. Lord, maybe someone today has trusted you as their Savior, asked for a special blessing in their life. They've realized that it's not about being good, but it's about trusting what Christ did. They can know for certain they have eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done. In your name we pray. Amen.
very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.